Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. Um, Let's turn our Bibles at this time to Romans chapter 3. Actually, going to start from verse 19. So, uh, why don't we all stand for the reading of God's Word? Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then, what, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the work of faith, of the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, or is God, the God, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, he, he will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. We, do we then overthrow the law by uh, this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Amen. Please be seated. All right, let's pray one more time. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to the wonderful things that are in your word. We Ask that, Lord, that uh, your gospel will be made clear this morning, that you would give attentive hearts and minds, that our love for you and your word, word will grow, that you will continue to bind our hearts in unity and truth, so that your name will be honored, that your, you alone will receive the glory here. Um, Lord, you know of my weakness. We know that I'm a fallible man, and it's easy to twist your word and make it to say what we want it to say. So, Lord, guard me as I preach your word. Help me to uh, preach your word in a way that honors your name. And as we hear your word, may we worship you in understanding that you are God over us, and you have set a way for us to be made right with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for your work. Uh, we pray that your spirit may come now to apply these things for your name's sake. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Today, um, the title of the sermon is 
sola fide, the righteousness of God through faith alone. So basically today we're going to talk about sola fide, um, or faith alone. And this is part of what we call the five solas of the Reformation. And during the Reformation, the Reformers, it was sort of the battle cry of the Reformation. The sola scriptura, uh, meaning scripture alone, sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, means by grace alone, and uh, sola deo gloria, uh, means uh, glory to God alone, and solus Christus means uh, Christ alone. And it's interesting how that one word, solace, could cause so much uh, problems to a lot of people. It's so divisive. And, and, and yet, people may say similar things, that we need to be saved by Christ, we need to be saved by grace, we need to uh, be saved by um, having faith in Jesus Christ. But is it faith alone? Or is it faith plus works? Is it faith um, and some other thing that we should trust in? Um, is it Jesus Christ alone, or do I need something else in order for me to be right with God? So this word alone um, is a very divisive word. And the Roman Catholics will not deny that we, before God, we need to have faith. But it's faith that they say faith is not alone. It's not sufficient for you to be counted righteous before holy God. So by sola fide, we mean faith alone is what makes us uh, uh, as we stand before God, it is our faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that justifies us or, or that we're counted righteous before a holy God. Um, I've been reading a lot of Martin Luther lately, and uh, one of, in one of his articles against uh, antinomians, uh, he spoke of the heretics uh, as uh, retaining our words, our doctrine, the joy, joyful tiding concerning Christ. Meaning, a lot of the heretics out there, they may use the same terminology, same words, and yet they may, they may mean different things. So on the surface, uh, everyone might so sound similar, yet if we have a more careful examination of what they mean by grace, what they mean by faith, what they mean uh, by salvation, uh, they, they are co completely talking about something different. Um, I, this is why I believe that theology is so important for us. Uh, I tell my youth students that it's sort of like uh, learning how to play guitar. Um, when you first learn the guitar and you learn to tune your guitar, uh, you don't know how to do it without that little machine where it turns red and green if you're in tune. And uh, you don't have the years yet. You're, you don't have that pitch. And, and, and as you learn more about the guitar, as you learn more about the notes, uh, you, you, you hear the notes and it sounds off. And, and it, I think it's the same with theology. As, as we uh, learn more about God's word, as we tune ourselves to the word of God, um, although things might sound the same, although they may use the, uh, similar terminologies, um, as we dig deeper, there's something off about that theology. So I want to encourage all of us to study the word of God, study theology, so that we could have clear understanding of what the gospel says, what uh, Jesus says in his word. Okay. So sola fide, or faith alone, is concerned about how a sinner is made right with God. And this is an intense problem, right? Because by sin, we're talking about something that deserves divine capital punishment. God's kingdom and his rule has divine, holy, righteous judgment against sin. So by sinner, we're talking about dirty, wicked, deserving of death, God-belittling, God-hating people. 
And by God we mean infinitely holy, infinitely pure, holy, holy, thrice holy God, right? So the issue at hand is, how is this sinner made right with this holy, holy, holy God? And this passage we just read in Romans, so rich. Yet one of the things that stands out here is the phrase, the righteousness of God. And if you have your NIV, it says, righteousness from God. So what does it mean here when Paul says, the righteousness of God or God's righteousness? Here's some perspective I want to give you. In the New Testament, this phrase, righteousness of God or God's righteousness is used eight times. And of the eight times, seven times is in the book of Romans, which should tell us something about the book of Romans. And, and of the seven times, five times is used in chapter 3 of Romans. Uh, one time in chapter 1 and twice in chapter 10. And, 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 and what, what are we talking about here? The righteousness of God. What does it mean? But before we understand what it means, we need to talk about a little bit of the context, what Paul has been talking about, and the problem that Paul paints for us. So let's look again at our Bibles, verse 19 and 20. Verse 19, I'm going to be reading from NIV now. Now, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous or justified in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So the argument from Romans 1 to Romans 2 is that Gentiles who do not have the law uh, also sin because, and they're under the law in a sense because they, um, they break the law of God that God has written on their hearts. It is written on their hearts, and their conscience bears witness. Let me read you a little portion of chapter 2, verse 12. It says, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that requirements of the laws are written on their hearts, their conscience bears witness, and their thoughts now accusing and now even, and even defending them. So it's interesting how Paul argues this. He's saying the Jews are condemned because they don't obey the law. They don't do the things in the law that God has given them. God has given them the law, but they do not obey the things in the law. But Gentiles, they haven't been given the law, but, but they're condemned because they were, for some reason, they do the things that are required in the law. Now, how is that so? Well, the law is written in their hearts, and their conscience is bearing witness. So and here's the analogy. Paul says, well, the Jews are condemned because they don't do the law, but Gentiles are condemned because they do the law. <laughs> So it's kind of interesting that he does that. So in chapter 1, Paul is pointing to the Gentiles and, and how they're deserving of God's wrath. And, and in chapter 2, he points to the Jews and says, You therefore have no excuse. You therefore have no excuse. Addressing the Jews. 
And so it's almost like the Jews are ready to say amen to Paul after chapter 1, right? But Paul turns to them and says, you're no different. Then chapter 3, Paul puts it all together and says, remember he says, there's no one who is righteous, not even one. So verse 19 and 20 here in chapter 3 is like his concluding remark uh, to his thoughts about how everyone is condemned. Law speaks to only those who are under the law, right? And when we ask, who's under the law, Paul? Who's under the law? And he says that every mouth, not some mouth, but every mouth may be silenced and the whole world uh, be held accountable to God. Meaning, in a sense, everyone is under the law. Everyone is condemned. Everyone is uh, under God's judgment. Everyone is held accountable to God no one has an excuse. That is why it's hopeless for anyone to be justified by observing the law. Because the law only condemns. It exposes sin and it condemns it. It shows the universal guilt of man. It shows that there's sinners. It shows that they have broken God's law, God's commandments, and it condemns them. In Romans 5 and 7, it tells us that the law, incre- uh, law increases sin, which means it increases condemnation. Uh, you guys may have different pictures of this, but I picture a man who has dirty hands. And, uh, and he's trying to clean uh, a mirror with his hands. And more he tries to clean the mirror, the dirtier it gets. And, 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 and I, my glasses, I just... Um, getting new lens this week because it's all scratched up. But uh, have you ever tried to clean, clean your glasses with dirty hands, dirty cloth? It gets dirtier and dirtier. It's hopeless. There's nothing you can do as a dirty sinner to clean away the filth. More you do, more you do, it becomes more condemnable. So the question again is, how is a sinner... The sinner made right with God. That's the problem. Right? And Romans 3.20 and Galatians 2.16 both tell us by the law, no flesh. The Greek word there is flesh. No flesh meaning no body (laughs) is justified. No body is declared righteous by doing the things of the law. By the law, no one is declared righteous or made right with God. So the righteousness of God. Verse 21. But now, a righteousness of God, or righteousness from God in NIV, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said this, There are no more wonderful words in the whole of Scripture than these two words. But now. Martin Martin Luther used to think this righteousness of God was uh, something, a horrible thing, because God is standing up in heaven and saying, here, I am righteous, and you need to climb up to where I am. And to live by faith means you have to climb up to my righteousness. I'm righteous, you've got to be righteous. But what does it mean? The NIV says the righteousness from God, and I think... That translation is a very good one because that's what it means. This is what Paul is getting at. He's saying this righteousness of God is a righteousness that's from him. 
It's apart from keeping the law, but it comes from God and it's given to you. God gives us his righteousness and it's no longer our righteousness, that flawed righteousness, where I try to keep the law, but it's a perfect alien, that is to say, it is outside of me righteousness. God is giving me righteousness. And when Martin Luther understood this, he said it opened the gates to paradise. And this is what he says, I quote him, I extol my sweetest words with a love as great as the hatred which I had before hated the words, the righteousness of God. So he once hated those words, righteousness of God, but now as he once, as much as he hated it, now he loved it because it was a precious gift from God. Verse 22, this righteousness of God, or this righteousness from God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So the problem is, how can a sinner be made right with God? And the answer is, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Now, let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians 2.8.9. And you guys know this passage. This is a very familiar one. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one could boast. Now turn to Romans 3.27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. So note the parallel here. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not by work. No one could boast. And Romans 3.27 says, Where is boasting? It is excluded. Because it's not by observing the law, but it is by faith. So even your faith is the sovereign work of God. reason why we believe is because God has granted us, gifted us to believe. It is by God's grace that we're saved. So this means that there's nothing in us that we should receive credit for our salvation. Even for our justification, because the faith that we have comes from God. God is granting us salvation. God is granting us belief. So here's the sentence. We are justified by grace alone through faith alone. Now verse 23. There's no difference for we all have sinned and fall short of the, glo- fall short of the glory of God. Against the universal fall of man here. All have sinned. Right? No one else is, uh, no one is excluded. Gentiles, Jews, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning they have fallen short of God's praise, honor, glory. What glorifies Him, they have fallen short of that. And then verse 24 says, We are justified by His freely, we're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So the satisfaction now. We have to talk about Jesus because it tells us here that we're justified um, by grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now justification, that is to say we're counted righteous before holy God, that 
justification cannot be separated from what Jesus Christ has done for us. They're so closely linked here that Paul says elsewhere, Romans 5.18, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass, what con- condemnation for all men, talking about Adam's um, sin through Adam, sin came to all men, right? So Romans 5.18 says, Condemnation came for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was the justification that brings life for all men. So we're counted righteous before God, but upon what basis? And the basis is the work of Jesus Christ. Now, Romans 3.25 says God presented him as a propitiatory sacrifice, that he is a propitiation. Now, what is Paul saying here? Propitiation, or in NIV, sacrifice of atonement, it simply means God's wrath has been satisfied, and therefore God's wrath has been removed. Jesus satisfies God's wrath when Jesus hung upon the cross and died. And this was done so that God can demonstrate his righteousness. NIV says his justice, but it's basically saying he's putting forth the one who is really righteous, Jesus who is really righteous, and he's showing that he is, he is condemning this person who is righteous so that we could become righteous. And why did God do this? Verse 26 gives us the answer. So that as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So this is what I tell my students. God is not just a justifier, but he is a just, just justifier. I'm going to say that again. God is not just a justifier, but God is a just justifier. Meaning God is the justifier of our sinners, but he doesn't just justify us to say, oh yeah, you're not guilty. But he justifies in a way that is just, that is righteous. Right? And how does he do that? He condemns his son. Right? Talked about how um, of the eight times, um, seven times is in the Ro- uh, book of Romans, and one other time, it's in Second uh, Corinthians 5.21. And I'm going to read that for us. It says this. It says, He made him, God made him, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Read it again. God made him, or he made him, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What does that mean? It means that when God looked at Jesus Christ, okay, he was righteous, right? It doesn't mean Jesus became a sinner. Because he was pure, spotless Lamb of God. But when God, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, God treated him as if he was a sinner. Meaning God condemned Jesus Christ. God condemned the righteous one. Right? And so that, although we're unrighteous, although we are sinners, God treats us as if we are righteous. How does he do that? God takes out our guilt and imputes it on Jesus, and God takes Jesus' righteousness 
and gives it to us. Theologians call this the double imputation because God is crediting him, right? It's not that Jesus becomes a sinner, just like we don't become righteous. We're still unrighteous. We're still sinners. And yet God declares a sinner righteous, right? Because of what Jesus Christ has done. Paul says in uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17, I'm going to read this. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is a power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God, there's that, that term, the righteousness of God. Righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. What does that mean? It means it is powerful to save. Now put it another way. All other religions out in the world, all other gospels out in the world are powerless to save. It is this gospel that are in the word of God that is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is powerful to save. There are other religions out in the world, but they're powerless to save. There are other saviors out in the world, but they're powerless to save. There's Buddhism. There's Hinduism. There's Islam. But they're all powerless to save from the wrath of God. I want to end with uh, two illustrations from the Bible. Uh, One comes from uh, the Old Testament. Actually, both comes from the Old Testament. Um, one comes from Jonah. And, and remember what happened with Jonah. God commanded him to go to Nineveh, but he goes completely the opposite direction, right? He goes to Tarshish, okay? So he, God is telling him to go east, but he's like going west. Complete opposite, complete disobedience, right? Jonah runs away from God, right? And then this chapter 1, verse 4 Uh, God sends a great wind on the sea, and it's such a violent storm that the ship is uh, threatened to break, right? So the sailors are afraid, they're terrified, right? And what do they do? They cry out to their own gods, the text says. They're crying out, they're praying to their own gods. And And then afterwards, that didn't work. So they throw cargoes into the sea, they're sacrificing things into the sea, and but that doesn't work. Isn't that a, a great picture of what religions out in the world is? Because it's powerless to save. Isn't that a picture of human works where you try to save yourself, right? But it is powerless to save. And what does uh, Jonah say? He says, uh, there's own way. There's only one way for you to be saved from this. He said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And we fast forward to what Jesus says. He says um, that just like what happened to Jonah, it will happen to me, right? What is it saying? Say, Jonah was a sinner, but Jesus was righteous. There's only one way for us to be saved from the wrath of God. And uh, that is through Jesus Christ alone. He died. He was thrown into the sea. 
he was thrown into God's judgment so that we could be right with God. Second illustration, the Passover. We just celebrated Easter and um, um, this month. And uh, Passover, recall that uh, God comes down in judgment to kill the firstborn, right, as one of the plagues. And I used to think that when uh, the Passover, uh, when, when, when the firstborn was being killed, that it was some demon, right, demonic force coming down and killing the firstborn. Maybe I got that from a movie or something. But the Bible says that it was God who's coming in judgment. God said, this is what he says in Exodus 12. He says, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both man and animal, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plagues will touch you when I strike Egypt. So it's God. God is coming down in judgment. And you recall that the firstborn idea is not is, is the idea of, of first in prominence, right? That the firstborn had rights, right? That he represented the family, that he was the heir, right? He had the privilege, right? So God is coming down to strike Egypt. God is coming down in judgment. And the question we need to ask is, why did God pass over the Israelites? Is it because they're righteous? Is it because they're Hebrew? Is it because of their race? How good they are? How pretty they are? The answer is no. But it is because of the blood of the Lamb on the door that it was on the top and the sides. And he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now fast forward to Good Friday, right? Good Friday. And around noon, as Jesus is hung, hanging on the cross, a darkness comes over the land. You guys remember this? It's as if that night, the night of the Passover, is transferred to, to Good Friday. And God is coming down in judgment again. And God is going to judge. And he's going to kill a firstborn. But it's not the firstborn of Egypt. It's not the firstborn of the Jews. It's his own firstborn. His own son. And he's coming to judge. And he killed his son. And on the cross, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he cried, It is finished. It's done. So that's why Christianity, we, we say it's a done religion. It's not a do religion because everything that is necessary for us to be made right with God, for us to go to heaven, to be saved, has been accomplished by Jesus Christ. And the way we become righteous is by trusting in the one who is righteous. And that righteous, um, the, the righteousness that we gain is not our own righteousness, but it's Christ's righteousness for us. So in the gospel, you will find forgiveness for your sins. No other gospel, no other 
religions in the world will you find forgiveness for your sins. And the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That is to say, it is mighty to save. And the gospel is the righteousness from God that is Christ's righteousness. And we receive this by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of what Christ Jesus has done for us alone, and all of this to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Lord God.